Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Man, I love this church. I love worshipping with you guys. I love pastoring this group of people here. Um, it's challenging at times, but it's really exciting. Um, Sarah and I, just we just are passionate about it. Last week, we talked a bit about our journey over the first two years, and we're just reflecting this week. We're thinking, wow, what an amazing group of people we have here in Dunstable. This is a relatively small church, as churches go. We're not a huge congregation, but what amazing exploits that we're delivering. What an amazing thing. We've got this huge building that's in our town, seats a thousand people, falling down around our ears. You can see the, um, like we're, we're managing this. We've just put a brand new roof on there. These are the kind of things that big churches cope with and do, yet we're relatively small. We look around and there's, there's only few of us, yet we're delivering just such huge, mega exploits for the kingdom and I, that's you guys it's testimony to you and your heart for the kingdom and your heart for what God is doing here and I want to thank you for that and it's an absolute privilege to just pastor and be with this amazing team that lead this church so thank you for that we're praying for the future of this church right now you know sir we felt we've Normally in the summer, we have some sort of campaign that the community comes in, uses this building, and just nothing, for some reason, has sat with Sarah and I and the team and the creative team, and the, nothing really that's been presented. We've gone, yeah, no, that's what we should do. So we've kind of stopped everything. We've stopped creative team as we know it, the things, the, the different meetings that plan church. We've kind of stopped those a little bit, and we're just praying and worshiping and going, God, what is it? that you want us to do next. Isn't that an exciting place to be? I'm glad that we're bold enough to just go, hey, I don't know what God's doing. There seems to be a shaking. There seems to be a move of God that there's, there's unsettling. There's things moving around and things shaking. And in that season, the cream rises to the top or the big stones rise to the top. And we've gone, let's just stop and let God do what he's going to do. We've stopped creative team. And that's an exciting place to be. So I'm going to need a drink at some point in this. Just some water would be great. But it's an exciting place to be. And I've been praying and just asking God, what is it you want to share this morning? What is it that we want to talk about today? And I wanted to really felt God saying that I needed to bring a message of unity in this season. Something that brings us together. The sermon that I'm going to speak is called Out of Touch. Have you noticed um, that, oh, that's awesome. Look at that. It's got sparkles. Sorry if I, if I burp my way through this sermon. I'll keep it there. No, no, it's cool. Out of touch. Have you ever noticed that like, we, we just get out of touch with things? People in your lives, they come and go, don't they? People move away. You, when someone moves away from your life, you stay in touch for a little while, don't you? You're really good. Like, oh, we're going to meet up. We're going to do that. And it happens for a little while. And then the person that's moved away and the person that's still there, like, time elapses and the gap between the times that you meet up and that you gather together gets wider. We lose touch with each other, don't we? And then like the person that's gone away is like going, well, you don't see me anymore. And the person that's still there is like, well, I haven't moved anywhere. I've been here the whole time. You're the one that moved away. And we become out of touch, don't we, in our relationships and our friendships. And it really takes a lot when someone moves away for you to stay in touch. 
Have you ever noticed that the generations at the moment, the gap between the generations seems to be getting further and further apart, or so it feels? We're becoming out of touch down among the generations. There's a gap that moves. Older generations are losing touch with what the young generations want and what their desires are and the problems that they're facing. The younger generation are forging new standards and new technology and new outlooks on life that the older generation look and question and say, have we done that in the past and did it work then? These things are moving further and further apart. Questions are being asked of long-standing institutions that our country knows. We're asking questions about things that we've never asked questions before, things that are traditional or things that we've always done. There's generations coming through now questioning everything about what we do, even church. We're a fairly modern style of church. We're quite lively. We, we like to praise God um, and we allow like emotional worship in the house. That's, that's what we love and what we do. But sometimes, and even now, as we try to present to new generations, we have to ask the question of our institution, of church. What are we doing? Is this even meant to be church? Who came up with the idea of one guy standing or girl and sharing their thoughts to everybody and them all sitting there listening and singing a few nice songs? Who came up with that and who decided that that's what church should look like? These are great questions. What needs challenging and what needs to stand and never change? That's an amazing question, is it? What needs to change? What needs to be challenged? And then what needs to stay exactly as it was? What needs to remain the same? These are important questions that as we've put everything on hold in our church and as we ask ourselves what's coming next that we're agonizing over and we're praying about and we need God to answer. But there's a feeling of the generations spreading far apart. I can't relate to you and you can't relate to me. I've got an amazing quote that I want to put up. Charlotte, Charlotte and Jermaine are like at the back making church happen today. This is the generations owning, owning the house. Emily is on teas and coffees today. The generations owning church, that's a picture. This meeting wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for your generation right now. You wouldn't be hearing my voice. You wouldn't be seeing the beautiful slides. But here's a great quote. I see no hope for the future of our people if they are depending on the frivolous youth of today. For certainly all youth are reckless beyond words. Um, is that your mum? Did your mum say that? Did anyone think that their mum ever said that? Have you ever heard, have you ever heard that? Have you thought your mum, that sounds like my mum. Ted said, he's like, That's, I'm sure my mum said that to me a few times. Um, we say this about the younger generation coming up. But if you could put when this quote was written, it was the 8th century. This quote was by a guy called... Hesiod. And in the 8th century, he wrote those words. Yet it sounds like something I would say to Eliot. Um, uh, it genuinely does today. But I wonder whether the generation gap that I'm talking about is longer standing than we think it might well be. It seems that in the 8th century, they had the same problem. I'm perceiving, though, as like it, just even in my first two years, that the generation gap is growing wider. It does feel to me like it's spreading further apart. But maybe all generations have had that unsettling feeling too. Maybe generations in the past have felt the same thing. 
How do we manage this in church? What keeps our message relevant? What keeps us engaging the next generation? What keeps the message being heard? How do we do the generations well in Com Church? That's what I want to ask today. How do we do the generations well in Com Church? I saw, whilst I was researching for this, I saw some really funny jokes and different things, but this one caught my eye. And it was a testimony from an old, an old member of a congregation. It's not from here, but an elderly person in a congregation. The pastor was getting discouraged from not seeing miracles. And the old person thought, I'm going to send a testimony to the pastor. And this is what they wrote, and um, it made me smile. Um, Dear pastor... I have had two bypass surgeries, a hip hip replacement, and two new knees. And am I relating this morning? Is this um, is this hitting you? I'm sorry, but after a diagnosis, I am fighting prostate cancer, obviously not Anne, um, and diabetes. I'm losing the sight in both of my eyes. I'm struggling with hearing anything quieter than a jet engine from a plane. I'm now taking a concoction of different medications that make me dizzy, out of breath. I'm subject to blackouts, this elderly person sharing. I've just realized I'm having bouts of dementia. Poor circulation means I can't feel my hands or my feet anymore. Pastor, I can't even remember my own age. Am I 70, 85 or 92? I've, I've forgotten. On top of all this, I've lost all of my friends. But I want to thank God today and give praise because this week the DVLA wrote to me and told me I could keep my driving license. Isn't that awesome? What a great, <laughs> what a great, what a great testimony. I don't think it was the Duke of Edinburgh. It may have been. I don't know. But I, I can't upset the old people today because the older they get, the less life in prison becomes a deterrent to them. So uh, I don't want to upset any, any older people today. But different generations face different problems, different generations face different difficulties and different challenges. At this moment, right now, in this time, youth unemployment is a major issue for young people. 16 to 24-year-olds are more likely to be unemployed than the older working people in in their peer group. In both London and the rest of England, young people struggle to find employment if they're between the ages of 16 and 24. 9.4% 19, 9, 9.4% of 16 to 24-year-olds are unemployed in London right now, which is almost three times other age groups and the overall unemployment figure of 3%. Of, 25, of the 25-year-olds and to 64-year-olds, which is most of the working population, they find it much easier to find the employment that they need than the 16 to 24-year-olds, making the property ladder even further out of reach. The older generation have their challenges too. The UK population is projected to be 74 million people by the end of 2039. That's a whole lot of people just in a small country like ours. The population in the UK is getting older by the year. 18% of people that are alive today in the UK are aged between 65 and over. 2.4% of them are 85 and over. These are the highest numbers of older people in our, in our world since records began. In 2016, there were 285 people aged 65 and over for every 1,000 people that were working. 
and that is the highest that it's ever been. These uh, population figures mean that there is a stretching and a pulling on our health services and our care provision for the elderly. These things are very difficult and very challenging for that generation. Over the last 125 years, marketing experts have identified seven groups that they call generations, and they've given them names. Each generation is vastly different from the next on social views, political views, sexual views, technology and behaviours. Each generation is different. I was studying it, and I wanted to tell everybody about it, and I began studying it, and I thought, how am I going to com communicate this in one sermon how am I going to get across all these generations in one sermon? So I thought, you know what, I need to think a bit like Josh and get around this. I need to be and put my millennial head on a little bit and go, how can I solve it? Sorry, Josh, you're my go-to millennial this morning. Um, but um, we've got, I was like, what can I do to get through it? And I thought, it must start with Google because everything starts by Googling something. So I, thought, I started Googling the generations and the names, and then I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to bother reading what the websites say. I'm just going to use Google and its algorithm. I'll start typing the name of the generation and see what other people have been searching. You know, Google, when you search, it gives you a list of other things people have been searching about that topic. And it says, you might want one of these, and there's a list. So let me show you what I mean. I took the first one. So baby boomers, these are American terms for people that are alive today. Baby boomers, if you were born between 1946 and 1964, who's, who, is, um, who was born in that time? Raise your hands. Who's in that age? 1964 and 19, 1946 and 1964. So there, we've got a few people here that are baby boomers. These are American terms, but they work for the, West, the rest of the Western world. Look, so other people have searched this. So it says, you're conservative, so like you start doing it and it fills in the blanks. These are not mine. So it says baby boomers, if you're conservative, you're stupid. I don't think that's fair. Don't blame me. This isn't my search results. This is Google, all right? It's their, it's their thing. So you're stupid, mum. Got that one? All right. Arrogant. Arrogant. Are you, you guys arrogant? Rude. The worst generation. Racist. You're not racist, are you, mum? You just open your mouth to change feet. Yeah, that's it. It's not, that's not racist. No, no, I get it. So um, there's nothing racist about that. And angry. So that's the baby boomers. If you search results, I know this is a really lazy, lazy way of doing the study, but you've got to forgive me. I'm thinking like, um, thinking like another Generation X. Generation X is my, is my age group. So 1965 to 1979. Who was born 1965 to 1979? There we are, just. So that's us. This is our generation. Let's take a look. Charlotte, help me out. Okay, cynical, we're cynical, oh, that's a painful one, isn't it? So angry, ignored, so small, you know, um, the Generation X, my generation, are sandwiched between the baby boomers, of which there are multi-millions, and the millennials, of which, which is the largest generation there's ever been in history, and, and our, this generation is so small, or called the lost generation, so that's there, and we're stupid as well, so like, we've got to take that on the chin, so um, we're stupid, that's beautiful. Frustrated with the generation that's gone before, that's us. Sorry, sorry, Mum. All right, so like we're moving on to the millennials. Um, let's take a look. The millennials are from 1980 to 1990 food. Uh, 1989, totally obsessed with food. I don't know why millennials. Who's a millennial this morning? Raise your hands. 
The millennials have raised them. Nice. All right. So you're obsessed with food. You're also stupid. That's nice to know. So um, that's really good to know. Lazy, lazy millennials. Liberal. You're quite liberal in your thinking, apparently. These, this is Google searches things. This is not me. I'm, you're sensitive. I think millennials are sensitive. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I think that's right. Um, rude, hated, so important. So there you go. That's it. Now, the next one is quite possibly one of the most troubling Google searches I've ever seen in my... Actually, no, it's not. I've seen some pretty troubling Google searches in my time. Um, but we won't talk about that. Um, this is one of the most troubling Google searches, and it's for the generation to come. This, Charlotte, Elliot, this is yours. Um, generation Z, uh, 1995 to 2012. Raise your hand if that's you. All right, sweet. Um, Charlotte, hit me with it. You're basically screwed. So... Um, that's basically the only one that comes up for your generation. So we've really, we've really done a bad job, the generations that have gone before. So we're really sorry about that, the generation to come. And um, there's, there's nothing else. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. That was just a bit of fun, just looking into that. But in the end, whichever generational group you are in, it should not define you. Whatever the marketing groups say, whatever um, things say, whatever generational group you are from, it should not define you. How you interpret your unique place in your generation will define you. Me standing here today to describe the differences between my generation and Elliot's generation won't make me look cooler to them. It won't make me um, be more um, appealing to them or attractive to them. Um, me saying, Elliot, why don't you even know what a Walkman is? I mean, it's not going to help. It's not going to make me any more connecting with that generation. Stevie and I were at a party the other night, last night, and Stevie said to me, why don't you get your arm? Why don't you get a full tattoo sleeve like I've got? And um, so, like, my shirt's on this morning, but get, a, get a, a full tattoo sleeve. And I'm like, can you imagine what Elliot would say? He'd be like, I think you're trying a little bit hard to engage with our, with our generation today, Dad, if I was sat here with my full tattoo sleeve. I'm not sure it would connect with them very well, and they'd see through it. But I need to be Julian if I'm going to present well to any generation. I need to be 43 and authentically me. If I do that, then we'll connect with the generations. I need to be 43 and uniquely me. I just have to be myself. I have to, if you're going to connect to something, everyone in all of those generations is looking for authenticity. And if we do that, God's got it covered. Every generation is different. Every generation is unique and has a contribution to make. We're in church this morning, so I suppose we better start referring to the Bible. Uh, that seems like a good thing to do. Let me take a drink. If you've got a Bible, why don't you take it out? When we're talking about unity and connecting the generations, this is a great scripture. Proverbs 20, 29. The glory of the young is their strength, and the gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. I expect there's some money that's been spent on managing grey hair in this room and um, over, over our time controlling the grey hair, but there's great experience of the old. 
What a privilege we have to have every age group in this church. Now there's such a trend of age group friendly churches where everybody goes, they look the same as everybody there, where um, cultural groups meet together on their own. And look around this morning at how the different age groups are gathered here. Iris is our oldest member. Let's raise the roof for Iris, our oldest member this morning. I think the way to connect with all generations is recognizing the experience of the old and recognizing the strength and the energy of the young. There's an amazing Bible story that I want to hook this message around this morning, and I'm going to try and go quick and get us home early today. The account of Abraham and Sarah, which is in Genesis, I want us to look at that. It's a picture of God's plan down through the generations. Abraham in the Bible is the Hebrew uh, patriarch from who all Jews trace their lineage. All of the Jews trace their lineage back to Abraham. He was directed by God to leave his own country and find another land. I want us to read Genesis 18, verse 11 to 15. Sarah, would you come do it? I'm bored of listening to myself already. So um, here you go. So we're going to read Genesis 18. 11 to 15. Abraham and Sarah were, were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Now Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. Wow. So you've got Abraham and Sarah here. They're 90 years old, as it happens. They're 90 years old, and God has given them a promise about bearing a child. They're both past the age where consummating a relationship in a way that produces a child is just not going to work. Sarah is out of action. There's no operation in, in her womb, in, in the things that work. We don't need a biology lesson this morning. Um, in the same way, Abraham, his biology wasn't going to really lend him too much to producing a child anyway. They, they didn't have the ability. God asked them and said, you're going to bear a son when it was already really impossible for them to do it. Isn't that amazing that God would do that? He would say to this couple, do something that is totally impossible and I'm going to do it. To the point where Sarah laughs at him. Sarah laughs at God and goes, there's no way. That's so funny. How am I at 90 years old going to bear a child? I don't want to. I don't particularly have the resources available to do that. And God goes, did you laugh at me? And she goes, uh, no, I didn't laugh at you. And God goes, yes, you did. You laughed at me. And she goes, no, I didn't. And that's that story. It was like God was just saying to her, look, why, why aren't you believing that I can do the impossible through your life? Why are you not embracing the promise that I've given to you? They had a miracle son. In the, in the scriptures that followed, they had Isaac. And he's a miracle son. God did exactly what he was going to say, what he said he would do. And God said, in this impossible moment, I will do what I said. They had this miracle son, Isaac, and God said to them, now I want you to sacrifice the miracle that you've had. 
the story goes on and um, Abraham has to take Isaac and say, I've got to go and, God has told me I've got to sacrifice you before him, which is kind of dark. Um, and he takes a knife and just before the knife is about to kill Isaac, who is the fruit of the promise we've just read about, before it, God says, don't worry, I just wanted to see if you would do it, if you would be obedient. And Abraham's obedience spoke to the next generation. Isaac saw the obedience of Abraham in operation as that knife came down and God said, wait, you don't need to see it through. Now, I want to pitch this morning that this wasn't about Abraham and Sarah. This story is not about what they had to do. This story and these promises aren't about what they had to do. The promises that you read surrounding Abraham and Sarah, God says to them, I'm going to birth the nations through you. Your offspring are going to bring the nations and the generations are going to come out of your seed. That's the promise. The, the promise also that we're going to strategically place you so that you will defeat your enemies. There was a lot of um, battle strategy that God gave them in their promises. And then it goes on to say that your children will affect the nations of the world. These are the promises that God gave to them. But none of them were about Abraham, Abraham and Sarah. God wanted to do something great through them that they had no clue about. This wasn't about Abraham and Sarah. Fast forward centuries. Fast forward a long time. And the very first Christmas, I wish we could have done Christmas in July today and put Christmas trees up. But the very first Christmas, we sing once in Royal David's city, in the line of David, in the line of the Jews, in the seed of Abraham, because that's how the lineage works, all the way down, Jesus Christ is born to this world. So God gave them something impossible that was a promise for their lives, but it wasn't about them. It was about what God wanted to do in their future. I'm going to squirrel for a moment on this sermon because I believe there's some people here today that God's asking them to do something impossible, something that they feel is totally un like uncomfortable for you to do. But it's not about you. It's for the generations to come. There's a Jesus in the future. There's a us in the future. The Bible in the New Testament goes on to say that if you are in Christ, you are also the seed of of Abraham. So this is about us this morning too. It was never about Abraham and Sarah. It was about Jesus Christ and it was about Dunstable Community Church and then to become Com Church and it to be about us and us as believers. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing story. That's how deep God's promises on our lives are. They're not for us and our generation alone, but they're for things that come down the line. It wasn't about Abraham and Sarah. This was all about Jesus and about us. What a picture of the generations this story is. I've got five quick points that I'm going to share this morning. They're very simple. You can write them down if you want. Psalm 145 verse 4. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. What a great, great word. That's two-way, that scripture. You have to read that both ways. That's not old people telling young people what to do. That's young people getting excited about what God's done and reporting it in to the generations around them. That's an amazing picture of generations working together 
and recording the amazing thing that our God does. This morning, we heard from our Uganda trip sharing of the amazing things God did on that trip. And it was encouragement to all of the generations this morning. We have the responsibility to encourage each other across generations. So my first point is pass it on. We have to pass it on. The wisdom God has given the older generation must be passed on to the younger generations. The experience that the older generation has must be passed on. The knowledge of God must be passed on. All the great things, we cannot keep it to ourselves. Our generations need to pass it on. And as that scripture proved, it also goes two ways. The second point I wanted to make in relation to this story Who said you were too old for anything? Who said you were too old for anything? Who said you are past it? Who said it's a young person's game? Whoever said that? That needs to go. We're a Bible-believing church here, and we believe the Bible, and we don't get too old, and we don't get past it. God takes us when our time comes. If Moses had thought he was too old He would have never stood in front of Pharaoh in Exodus 7 verse 7 at the age of 80 years old and said, let my people go. It would have never happened if he'd said he was too old. If Caleb had said, I'm too old, at the age of 85, he would have never said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 14, give me my land. I'm ready for the hill country. Give me the land that you promised me to have. Caleb would never have said that. Elizabeth would never have carried John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, if age was an issue to her. We must stop with the thinking that I'm too old to do this. If Paul had called it quits at the moment that he got stoned in Acts 14 and said, I'm too old, it's a young person's game, let's leave it to the generation to come, none of the letters to the churches would have been written. Our New Testament would be completely empty when we go to read it today. You are not too old. We can pass on the encouragement, pass on the experience, pass on your best days, and now if we choose to pass it on. There are new ministries in us. There are new pathways for us to follow. There are new passions, new ideas for us to explore. Who said it's a young person's game? It's not. We are a Bible-believing church. And we're never too old for stuff around here. And I want to be absolutely clear on that. I have the privilege to work for my boss, who's 87 years old. He's been in ministry for 73 years. He's been married to one woman for 68 years of his life. I don't know how you choose ministries to support or like or read about or study. I don't know what you're, if you like. I like the praise and worship music of that ministry, so I think I'll like them. I like the word that they speak over there, so I think I like them. I don't judge ministries that way. Take a look. 68 years married to one woman, that's fruit. That's a ministry worth finding out about, right? There's a secret there. My boss at 87 years old has just returned home from a missions trip in India and Sri Lanka, and he's looking at his next trip. What an inspiration to my life he is. What a privilege, 87 years old. Who said we're too young? Keep going, keep giving, keep encouraging. You are not done yet. That's my point. Number three, listen to the young and the young need to listen. Two-way street. 
This was said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. This is to Timothy. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. Young people, this is your moment. This is your thing. People cannot despise you for being young. They should not despise you. I wonder whether we can get that talk out of this church. You need to really just now take up, pick up the mantle of what God is giving you. We have to look at how we live our lives, how we love others, how we operate our faith, and the purity that we live in. That's what people are looking at. Ladies and gentlemen, this book is more up-to-date than tomorrow's newspaper. There is nothing out of date about God's Word. This Word will tell you what's coming next. You're never out of touch if you reach to be in touch with God's Word. But then Paul, on the other hand, is caught many times in his letters saying to the churches, you wicked generation, you you." unruly generation. He uses these really strong words and he calls them on it. And, it, and Paul says, look, you're, you're a wicked generation. In the same way, the older generation need to be able to use the word of God to bring correction and guidance to the generation coming through and not hold back. And we need to hear it and listen to it. Whether a generation likes it or not is not our problem. The church is to call it as the Bible sees it. And we need to keep this front and center as we try to appeal to the generations or we try to reach all generations. Listen to the young and the young need to listen. My fourth point, I want to talk to the young people. Now that first scripture I read said that the gray head of experience was the portion of the old, but for the young, their strength and their energy was their key. Younger generation, what do you want to be in touch with? Do you want to be in touch with the popular culture of the world out there, or do you want to reach for something that will shape your life like you could not possibly imagine? An exciting journey by reaching for God's standard, God's word, and the saviour that exists in God's word. What do you want to be in touch with? you want to be in touch with the latest fashion, or do you want to be set apart and different and so that people see exactly what God has called your life to be. It's an exciting adventure. How will you use your strength and energy that you've got? I went to John's um, stag party and we got back at 4 a.m. And um, Ollie was in the car and he was still ready to party at 4 a.m. I was not quite in the same state having been the designated driver and such things. Um, So I didn't get involved too much I was like, just, okay, all right, great. But I felt it the next day. I can't go. I can't go all day. I used to be able to. When I was young, I could go all night, pick it up at 7 a.m., go again. Young people, you've got an energy that, like, begins to wane in the older generation that we can't. Where are you spending it? Where are you putting that? Are you spending it in front of a computer? That's cool. Do it. Absolutely do it. But you've got energy there that's being locked up and wasted. You could use it for anything. I'm not getting at you today. I'm just telling you the truth. What do you want to be in touch with? And what are you using your energy and strength for? I think the one key out of all of this that 
I took from that story of Abraham and Sarah is, it's we, not me. This is my final point. It's we, not me. So when I'm addressing the generations today, I'm saying to you, it's not about the generation that you sit in. It's either the one to come or the one before. It's time that we stop looking at the generation that we sit in and look to the ones either side of us for us to be able to help, for us to be able to encourage, for us to be able to put into. That's the challenge today. Everybody say, it's we, not me. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. In a few weeks' time, you're going to hear from Sarah Payne. It's not about you. A message, a whole about, about it. We do spoiler alerts these days, but Sarah's going to bring a word. It's not about you. I'm looking forward to that week, and this is a very similar point. It's not just about the generation you are in. Look and meet the needs of the generations around you. Cultures love to separate at the moment. Culturally, they love to separate. Have you seen it? Between race, between different age groups, between the generations, culture loves to bring separation. But Jesus Christ brings us together. Christ teaches a childlike faith. Accept the kingdom of God with the simplicity of a child. Let the children come unto me. A cross-generational Jesus. Today's culture is so isolated, individualistic, and fragmented, and so divided. Our me generation, our selfie generation, how many selfies do we take? It's, it's, it's become all about me. This is probably one of the areas that most speaks to me that I've seen in my lifetime. How self-obsessed the generations are becoming, and it's starting to creep across all age groups, all the way through. Our feelings are being made God. I feel something, therefore it must be true. That's the biggest lie on the planet, that our, because we feel it, it must be true. Totally untrue. But those are the things that are giving birth to a generation with more anxiety than we've ever seen before in the history. We've become selfish. We want instant gratification. We want everything now because of the way the generations have worked and because of the things we're engaged with today. In Galatians 3, verse 26, I don't think it's on the screen. So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. My conclusion this morning, as I get older, I want my ceiling to be the floor for Elliot and Beth. My ceiling, the place that I get to in my life will be the floor for the generations to come. I'm standing here on this platform and somewhere about here, there is a scripture in my dad's handwriting and it's written underneath here. He's written it. And I'm standing on the word that my dad wrote right now, this minute. This is a powerful image. His handwriting is about there. I don't know if you can see. When we first built this stage, maybe this could come off. Is there someone that could help me? This can come off. Look. You see that? There's some people. We run out of space on there, and different people that were in the church at the time just took pens, and they wrote, if you lifted all of this stage, the scriptures are written just like that all over this stage, and my dad's is about here. I'm standing. I'm standing on the generation that's gone before. I'm, his ceiling is my floor, but let the, my kids, let my ceiling be their floor. Young people in this church, we're teeing this one up for you, but now is your time. Don't wait to take it.
Stand on our shoulders now. This is your moment. I'm going to hold my Bible, but whether you're 10 or 110, this is what we need to be in touch with. We don't need to be in touch with the next fad in the world. We don't need to wear the tattoo sleeve to be accepted in order to bring the message of this. I don't need to do it. In here, no matter what generation you are from, you'll be introduced to the exact same saviour of Jesus Christ. No matter what generation, no matter what cultural group you are from, this message of unity today should speak volumes. The same one saviour, the message of Jesus Christ, a Holy Spirit-empowered life transcends every single generation. If you want to be radical, if you want to stand out amongst your friends and your friends go, wow, look at what God's doing in that life. Look at, look at what God's doing. I've got a feeling that there are two barbers in Dunstable that Dunstable's going to begin looking around and saying, my gosh, what is going on here? These guys are different. There's some change that Jesus has done. There's, there's some change that has happened to them. If you want to be cutting edge, reach out for God's standard, not the ways of the world. The same standard. There's a standard to live your life that's in here. We can't tweak that because a generation finds it uncomfortable that that thing in God's standard is, is right there. We cannot adjust it to make that more comfortable for a generation coming through. God's standard is the same down every single generation, through every cultural group. It never changes. And it's Comchurch's job to hold it firm in our, in our community right now, right this day. We cannot adjust God's standard. We can't. It's the same standard across all generations. The message of grace is so powerful, it cannot be tweaked to make comfort, make it comfortable for the generations to come. It has to say as it was laid out in God's word. Doesn't matter where you are on the generational um, front in Comchurch, we all have the same mission. We all have the same goals. We have the same great compassion. That means we'll get on an airplane and travel to Uganda and make a difference in people's lives. We have the great commission where we will tell people that there's a better way to live your life. Have you considered it? Try going to the word of God and see what God will do to change your life so that it's never the same ever again. We have the same goals. Heaven is ahead of all, every single one of us. The same goal of an eternal destiny. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. No matter what generation, no matter what cultural group you're from, the promise is exactly the same. In this story I talked about, it was never about Abraham and Sarah. It was about something in their future. Let's change how we look at generational roles. 80-year-olds can send messages on Facebook. 20-year-olds can crochet. Isn't that awesome? doesn't matter whether you're from a generation that gave medals because you went to world wars or whether you're from a generation that gives everybody a medal for taking part. It doesn't matter which generation you're from. God transcends that. A life of Christ transcends all of those generational differences. I want us, I want every preacher that comes and takes this stage from now on. I'm going to speak to our SLT and the preachers. 
I want you to remember when you take this platform, we're addressing one generation. One generation in Jesus. I don't want anyone to make a theology about, out of what I'm about to say. But it's just a thought that came to me while I was preparing this message. And I think it's the crux of everything. Today I'm seeing families sat, sat next to their children in this church. And we're all sat together in family groups. And there are parents and young people. And um, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. But parents, um, children, your parents, the God, when you reach for God's standard, it tells you how to treat your parents, how to obey them and do that. But the second we become born again believers in Jesus Christ. We all become sons and daughters of the living God, every single last one of them. So the greatest joy in my life will be seeing Beth and Elliot as my brother and sister, one generation, together standing aside, worshipping the same God as brothers and sisters. Yet we've got this mindset, my kids are in church. I'm going to make them be there. That's, that's, we're happy I've made them come to church, but no, when you come into worship, well, when you come into worship, as well as the father, son and daughter relationship, as well as that, you then step in and your brothers and sisters as well. We need to remember this. They need to have the freedom to be your brother and your sister. They need to be released. Sit where you like. This is your church. Make sure that you're serving and being a part of this church. We're not just there. We need to adjust our thinking. The older generation needs to adjust their thinking. And the younger generation needs to adjust their thinking. We become brothers and sisters. Don't turn it into a theology. It just strikes me as a thing that we should remember. One generation. When we stand here, preachers, when we talk, we must speak to one generation. I'm going to bring this to a close. While people are being drawn into church groups where everybody looks like themselves, they're at the same stage of life, the same stage of parenting, the same stage of culture. We want to gather together with people that looks like us. Take a look around. This is the model. We all have to be different. It's dirty. It's messy. We all get involved in different things. But that's what heaven looks like. Let's not just gravitate to people that look and feel the way we do. Let's have a kingdom culture in Com Church. I really pray that this message will go deep into the fabric of what we do. If we're going to see the generations hear the message going forward, we have to remember it's not about us. It's about something that God wants to do down the line. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.